bottom line. Welcome everybody to the bottom line. So thankful for you, all the subscribers, those of you who click the notification bell, but most importantly, who talk about the things we talk about, because really to shift culture, we have to engage in conversation, real conversation. And I don't know if there could be a, a, a more exciting and deeper conversation that I've had in a very long time than what we're going to have today with Tim Barton. And if you don't know David and Tim Barton, you know, I want to, the old saying is, do you live under a rock? But if you don't, this is really the hour where you need to learn about wall builders and you need to learn about David and Tim and what they do. So right before I introduce Tim, I want to thank some of our mutual friends, Patriot Mobile, Glenn Story and Patriot Mobile, uh, the only Christian conservative cell phone provider in the U.S. Uh, they run a special, I know it's not Friday, but they call it Every Friday Matters, which means you're going to get a free smartphone. They'll even buy you out of your contract. Why does this matter? Patriot Mobile, as a for-profit company, will take some of their proceeds and turn back and invest it in Judeo-Christian values, pro-American, patriotic values, helping us turn school boards, but most importantly for us, literally helping us save children from human trafficking. So why don't you spend your dollar, vote with your dollar, where the company you're investing it into doesn't turn it around and investing it into Planned Parenthood and destroying life. As such as the other big cell phone providers, if you're concerned about your service, you're going to get the same service, even better, better customer service, but cell phone service, they use all the major towers. So you're not going to see a, a dip in your service. So check out patriotmobile.com forward slash the bottom line. Or if you call them, mention the bottom line and they're going to take care of you. Tim Barton, unbelievable honor to have you on the bottom line. It is my pleasure. Absolutely. You and your father are voices of reason. <clears throat> Um, I've tried to articulate kind of the, the duo, you know, it, it almost looks like he stepped into this kind of a statesman position, almost like the, 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 the gray and the wise, right? And then he passed this torch to this young buck that's got fire, man. Not that he doesn't, but you're just on fire in, in this mission. And so I'd like to rewind the clock way back. When did your love for America, for truth? Yeah. When, when did that, when did you self-realize that, no, I'm, I'm, I want to carry this thing? I, I mean, really, it, for me, it was a journey of my own Christian faith. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. My, my grandfather was a pastor of our church. Uh, so I, I don't remember a time I wasn't in church. I don't remember a time when uh, faith wasn't an important part of our life. But I, I vividly remember... Uh, as a freshman in high school, I was at a kid's camp and had a, an encounter with God where I had a, a real revelation that there was a difference between trying as a kid to not be bad and then being the light of the world. Mm. And, and that God had called me to, to, to more than just, right, don't be bad. Not be bad. Right. Like, no, you're salt and light. That is that is a positive contribution. That's not just an abstinence of the negative. And and really my faith kind of became my own. And so I began to pursue the word of God. I would read the Bible every night before I went to bed and it built in me a love for the word of God. I, I really enjoyed apologetics. I enjoyed worldview because I, I I was on a pursuit of truth and that, mm -hmm. that journey of truth. I really, uh, it, it just fed my soul in a very deep way. And so I enjoyed the C.S. Lewis, the, right, the Josh McDowell's, the Lee Strobel's, all the people that were kind of talking about some of these topics and issues, giving explanation, giving some depth of explanation. 
And as I got into college, still, I, I loved the Bible. I, I finished college. I was a high school teacher and a coach, but I was able to to teach for a while at a Christian school. And I was a high school, well, really junior and senior level uh, Bible teacher. We did a lot of worldview and apologetics. And so really, it was my love of truth and and then the ability to know when to defend truth, mm. right? Why, why does the Bible make the most sense? Why does the Christian faith make the most sense? And about six years into me being a teacher, I was also the youth pastor at my home church at that time, and we were taking our kids to a, a summer camp, and the camp director asked if I'd be willing to do a session on some of the Christian heritage of America. Wow. And I'd intentionally not followed in my dad's footsteps because as a kid growing up, Right. Everybody knew me as my father's son, which I, I now I'm in a place of maturity and I really am so grateful yeah. for who my dad is, for the the footsteps, right, the, the trail he blazed that I get to follow and I'm so grateful for that. But as a kid, when you're trying to be your own person, you want to be known you're for cut you. a trail. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want to be known as Tim Barton, not the son of David Barton. Right. And uh, so I, I had intentionally not followed my dad's footsteps, uh, so to speak. Not that I had any problem with it. I just, I, I wanted to be my own person. And so when my friend asked me, hey, would you be willing to do a session on the Christian Heritage of America? I said, I've never done it, but I've heard like a million talks on, right, on the Christian Heritage of America. I'm sure I can come up with something. And so I, I ended up uh, getting a talk together and I, I did a talk and I loved it. And there was a lot of questions afterwards and I enjoyed being able to answer some questions and, and guiding people to truth. Yeah. And my dad knew I loved it. In fact, that summer I ended up getting a lot of requests to go speak in some churches, which I really enjoyed. The, the thing that I love doing is being able to disciple mm -hmm. uh, as a teacher, right? I want to guide people on this journey of what's true and, and, and let's, let's find, let's pursue truth together. And it, it, it led to where for the first time in my life, when my dad said, Hey, if you like this, would you want to come on and start doing this with me full time? For the first time in my life, it wasn't a bad idea. That was back in 2010. Uh, and so for the last 13 years, I've been joyfully running side by side with my dad, being able to link arms with him and, and journey in this together. Uh, when I first started with my dad early on, there was always criticisms of the way my dad was presenting American history from yeah. some leading academics, right? Who would say that's sure. not true at all. But there was a couple of big controversies that, that came out. My dad had written some stuff. My dad had spoken some places. And, and there were people, at times even Christian professors, saying that's totally wrong. He's misrepresenting history. And as someone who loves truth, and I recognize that people are fallible. Yeah. And, right, I mean, maybe maybe my dad just got this wrong. And if he did, I wanted to help. Sure. Right? Like, sure. dad, hey. You want to get it right. Right. Because we, we care about what's true. Yes. Ultimately, right? It's not about who's right or who gets to win. It's what is true. We want to stand right. on what's true. And so I I began to investigate a lot of these claims. And what I came to discover is what my dad was saying was correct on like 99 point whatever percent of the issue. There was one or two places like, dad, I know what you're saying on this issue, but it sounds to other people like maybe it's different from the vernacular they're used to, right? Like maybe yeah. maybe saying it this way clarifies it. So he yeah. wasn't wrong in his intent, but maybe maybe a couple of words, but we're talking about on less than 1% of what yeah. was being said. And what I discovered was he was, he had always tried to base what he was saying on the original documents. And what I discovered is most people didn't know what the truth was. Mm -hmm. And so they were arguing against the truth because they didn't know truth. And they were, 
promoting and defending inaccuracies, again, because they had never done their research for themselves. And now we're at the point that we have what's considered the largest private collection of original documents from the founding era. Uh, we have more than 100,000 items in the collection. We, we now have a collaboration. We work with Glenn Beck. We work with Mercury One. And so there's a huge collection uh, that, that we try to have people come and experience part of that collection seat and learn history for themselves. But what I've also discovered is that so much of the history that is considered controversial it's not even hard to find the truth online. It's just that people haven't taken the time to pursue truth. Isn't that amazing, though? That it, people don't even surface level. They don't go beyond surface level, no. particularly Gen Z. Right. It's sound bites. Correct. And then when you when you would challenge them on any position or point of view, you find out quickly, one, there's no conviction. Because if there's conviction, you dig for the truth. Right. Let's go see. Let's proof and verify. Right. Let's have substance behind what we believe. Yep. It's fascinating. It, it is. And what we can actually point to, we can track that uh, historically, we can show when education really took some major shifts in America, right? You go back to the early 1900s when progressives really take over. And, and there's a lot of interesting things about the progressive takeover of, of education because in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, you have the second industrial revolution. Yeah. And as you're right, this is when Henry Ford, right? Model yes. T, you have the assembly yes. line, but it, which there's a lot of amazing things happening, genuinely amazing. But there's a push for a change in education because they need a different kind of worker on these assembly lines, right? You have Rockefeller who mm -hmm. comes out with his educational foundation and he puts millions in and nobody had ever started an educational foundation like this. Their goal was to change education. And, and one of their acknowledged goals was that we need better workers, not better thinkers. Because in the factory, if I'm telling you, hey, just screw this nut and bolt to together. Do what I tell you right, to do. Yeah. I don't need you thinking for yourself. I need you trusting in the credibility of the voice that's speaking to you and following and obeying whatever they tell you to do. The process. Right? Yeah. And so we begin wow. to shift education. And, 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 and literally, you can track this in early American education with progressives. They begin to change the dynamic of education, which also kind of just as a side note is interesting. Before progressives took over education, there was no such thing as true, false, multiple choice, or fill in the blank in any kind of testing. Wow. So, so multiple choice, true, false, fill in the blank, all of that is how well can you remember and regurgitate what you were told. So really it's what did the teacher tell me, right? Which, which one of these multiple choice is the correct option? Which one of these uh, from my word bank, right? I'm gonna fill in the blank. What did the teacher tell me this was? It, it has nothing to do with how good of a critical thinker, how good of a problem, problem solver, solver are you, yeah. right? The, and incubating those skills, right? right? It's, a, it's a parrot education system. It's exactly what it is. Polly the parrot. Right. Give me back what I gave you. But but this also now we're seeing the full effect where it's taken a hundred years for progressives to accomplish what they wanted. But we are now at the place where you have people saying, well, my teacher told me, my professor told me. It's why we're having students go to universities and, and they've grown up in a home where their parents gave them a set of values, yeah. where they taught them truth. And these kids will go to university. And they get so inundated by these professors and they'll come back hating their parents, hating America, hating God or Jesus or whatever their faith foundation was because they've been taught that the ultimate authority, the credibility comes from what credential somebody has, right? So this professor has to be smarter than my parents. If my professor says something else, well, then my parents couldn't have known what they're talking about or whatever it is. And this is really the full effect of what progressives wanted, but that's why we have people that they've been taught 
to just regurgitate what they've been told, but they're also being taught of who are the ultimate authorities of the information yeah. and who should you trust and who you shouldn't, shouldn't trust. trust. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and those voices of reason in your life that at times when we do drift and it's accountability and in the word of God, it's brothers walk together and this three-stranded cord cannot be broken and why we must be submerged in the word of God. So that mm. when we veer, it's micro-corrections. Well, if you discredit the voice of correction right, and you self-deify these other voices of this is the voice of God, meaning professors or or right. the government <clears throat> or institutions yeah. in the government or you've got a problem. Right. A serious problem. And I think we're seeing results now in this culture that were even unthinkable in two thousand and fifteen. Yes. Some of the things we're combating, you'd say and yeah, I find myself often people will say, Yaku, have have they lost their mind? And my answer is yes meaning they've lost their ability to use the gift God gave them, called the human brain, intuition, intellect, to critically think, right. reason, have civil discourse, debate. Where's that art? That's gone. Right. Having a real, you know, like a prize fight, two heavyweight fighters fighting it out for 12 rounds, displaying their talent. Where's the battle of the minds of, it is so because I said so. Right. Well, that's not my truth. That's, and you show a video, that's not what I see. Because the power that I follow didn't tell me that this right. is the truth. It's, it's literally, you know, the scripture talks about a man can be deceived or a man can be under a spirit of deception. Right. I think we're walking in a nation under a spirit of deception. Totally agree. And so, and so now you're no longer contributors to society, problem solvers. I never forget, sometimes what, what boggles my mind is the progressives or those who are on the opposite side of the political spectrum or the faith spectrum in us, often they'll speak profound truths. Right. Not even knowing what they're saying. <laughs> Steve Jobs, for instance, stands on stage with his little device and he says, we're not a music company, right? We're not a computer company. Like, yeah, you, you make computers, you, the iPod. And he goes, no, no, we're a problem-solving company, right? True. You're solving problems. Yep. You just decide who gets to and who doesn't, but because we're not teaching our youth right. to critically think. Right. To to look at the founding documents and ask what what did the founding fathers mean when they wrote this? What why did we have a civil war? Why was it decided that this paragraph needed to be unanimously agreed upon to make it into the Constitution? It's like those conversations are right. just dead. <clears throat> So you've got this mountain of a task ahead of you. We climbed the mountain of protecting children from sexual immorality. You've got this task by God, a mantle, you and your father, to re-educate mm -hmm. America. And I say re-educate because it's not just educate, because to your point, there's been a lot of really 100 years of bad education. Right. So it's not just the Gen Zers. It's the baby boomers. Right. It's the Xers, the millennials of, hey, Halt time out. So th that elephant that you need to eat one bite at a time of re-educating America, take me through that journey a little bit. Yeah. Through the organization, wall builders, and what I'm most proud of, and, and I'm in the vault at least twice a month. I go through the museum. I, we take every guest we have, we take them through the museum, sign up. And I want to tell our audience, I have seen Tim Barton, this man, Educate politicians with a room full of politicians. And then the next day, he's standing inside 
the building right outside the museum with 15 students in front of him. Just 20-year-olds, 19-year-olds with the same passion. You give them this, this, the same muster, the same... It, it, this is a passion for you. Yeah. It is a passion for you. <clears throat> yeah. Well, and, and I think... I mean, really, if we look big picture, you and I have very similar journeys because both of us are fighting to restore and preserve truth. Yes. Right? Ultimately, the only reason our organizations exist is because truth was lost somewhere along the way that that led to the problems we're seeing. Because if people actually knew who God was, who God made us to be, what God has done in us and through us, what God has done in this nation— we wouldn't have the problems exactly. of human trafficking in America. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't have the problem of people trying to reject God, reject the Constitution, embrace socialism. It, it, fundamentally, it's an attack against truth, which really can go back. I mean, this this is the oldest attack in the Bible where the serpent in the Garden of Eden, right? Literally. It's, did, it's a Genesis argument. It literally. Did God really say, yes, this is an attack on truth. God really said don't eat of that one, right? Everything else is fine. Don't eat of that one. But we're battling this. The heart and soul of America is really a battle over truth. And will truth prevail? Um, for us, when my dad started back in the 1980s, it's kind of a, at least for me, it's it's fascinating to see how God moves and works where I know your testimony, amazing testimony. If people uh, right now are listening and don't know it, they need to go back. Find one of your podcasts Thank where you, you share the testimony. Uh, it, we try to get you come and speak to when we do legislators groups no, or student amazing. groups. Thank you. You're including um, us. You're, you're you're such a blessing to us, Tim. You need to know. Well, yeah. I, I mean, we're so grateful. But, but what God has done in you, through you, how he's working with you now, uh, what you're doing, it, it's, it's remarkable. With that being said, if, if you— were to look at your life, and this is for everybody, if we look at our life somewhere along the way in the journey to where God has us now, we would never think, right? For many of us, mm. like, I, I would never think that this is where God was going to exactly. lead me. Yeah, right. No I, I go back when I'm 18 or 20, or like, I, I would never guess that like I'm doing what I'm doing now. But I, very similar for my dad. My dad uh, was a math and science guy in college. Uh, he hated U.S. history. Uh, he actually, really? growing up, he had learned about wow. how bad the founding fathers were. And he was a strong Christian, right? His dad was a pastor of their home church. He actually went back and served on staff with his dad. Uh, my dad was also a home builder, um, built lots and lots of homes. So using a lot of his, his math uh, in what he did with kind of the, the structure, the architecture, whatever else. But he had learned in fifth grade that George Washington fathered 26 illegitimate children, which gave a new meaning to the phrase that Washington slept here. And so he heard all the founding fathers, right? There were these terrible, immoral, uh, sexually, you know, whatever, hated God kind of people. And he thought, well, that's who they are. I, I don't like them at all. Along the way, uh, he recognized America obviously is having some moral problems. Their church in the 80s decided to start a Christian school because at that time they had seen, even in Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, they had seen in the public school the increase of sexually transmitted disease, of violent crime, of teen pregnancies. And they said, we don't want the kids in our church to to have no options, right? Then some of what's happening in the public school. And my mom was a part of Concerned Women for America. They were having a big rally in Washington, D.C. at that time. It was called Washington for Jesus. I think it was 1988. And, And they told all the women coming that if you come 
We want you to go meet your congressman and we want you to talk with your congressman. Just get to know them so you understand that you can have a voice and influence. At the time, my mom felt like we were supposed to go and maybe even take the whole family, which was going to be a huge task because there was three kids. And my mom said she went to my dad and he said, let's pray about it, which she said usually meant that, no, we're not doing it, right? That, that's what that meant. And he came back the next day and said, I, I think God wants us to go. Wow. And at that point, they are from a very small country town. Uh, the town they're from has only about 200 people in it. And they're going to meet a congressman. They've never done anything in the political world. And so at that time, right, congressman, that seems like a really yeah, big yeah, deal. They were statesmen. Right? It was really big. Yeah. I mean, now we've come to the place. One of one of the great jokes about uh, elected officials and congressmen is if, if you become a congressman, your first month in Congress, you're in the Capitol looking around going, man, how did I get here? This is amazing. Your second and third month, you're looking around going, how did they get here? Right? Because you realize <laughs> yeah. so many people up there, these are not the most astute, the most brilliant, the wisest, greatest not leaders among us. No, these are simply the people that chose to run for office mm -hmm. and got the most votes, right? So many are just normal average Americans and so many of them, they're not the best that I would argue representation of who- To represent the people. Right, we would yeah. want to represent us. With that being said, my parents were very taken back. We're gonna have to talk to a congressman. What do we talk to him about? And my parents prayed about it. And they felt like when they got to DC, my dad said, I, I feel like I'm supposed to go do some research and see when, when did things change in America? Like when when did the problems of the STDs and teen pregnancy and violent crime when when did that start to change? When did when did that happen in America? So in Washington D.C., he goes to the Department of Education, and he asked to see that the stats, the data they had on the moral issues concerning public education in America. And at that time, right there's no computers to speak of. Yeah. Really, they're working with, uh, and so they they go and they start pulling data and they start compiling data. And they give it to my dad and my dad looks at it and he's a math and science guy. And he sees what would be considered a statistical anomaly that every single moral issue without exception was flatlined. And then in 1962 and 63, every one of them takes a bump and they start going up. And what was fascinating is like violent crime since the 1960s, early 60s, at that time in the 1980s had increased over 614% in public schools. And he's going, this is crazy. And so he starts looking saying, well, what, what happened in those years? Sure. And he found out. Cause and effect. Right. Because right. I mean, this is a statistical anomaly, yes. right? You would think like. You can track this. Right. Population growth, right? You have a slow increase. No, no, no. It's flatlined. And then all of a sudden it takes off. And in 1962, 1963 is when the U.S. Supreme Court said that prayer and the Bible would no longer be allowed in public schools. And he thought, this is fascinating. He went to meet the congressman. And still, he's like, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I feel like God told me to research this. I'll just show it to the congressman and see what he thinks. So they showed it to the congressman and said, hey, I don't know if you've ever looked into this. I don't know if y'all have ever thought about it, but there's some issues in public school. Well, it seems that it all started in these years, and the only thing I've been able to find that happened of significance in 62 and 63 that impacted public schools across the nation was the Supreme Court said that, that prayer and the Bible were no longer allowed in public schools. The congressman looks and says, this is fascinating. He said, I, I, I've never seen anything like this. I'm going to have my staff look into this. We, 
we have no idea. So they have staff researchers come back and staff researchers came back and said, hey, well, we don't think that it was because of prayer in the Bible. We think it's because of some of these X, Y, and Z policies. And my dad looked at the policies they're pointing to, and those policies happened in the 70s. He said, okay, but that happened after the statistical the anomaly, right? Yeah. So so that can't have caused what happened yeah. here. And, and so that's what he tells the congressman. The congressman said, well, then I don't have a good answer. He said, somebody ought to look into this. And my dad says, like, the Holy Spirit in that moment says, you need to look into it's this. You. Normally when we say, and you've heard, the team have heard me say this, when you look around and you say, you know what, somebody should do that, and you look around and no one's doing it, that's the Lord saying, you're up. That's you. So my dad goes back home, and he says, well, I, I want to find out, why did the Supreme Court say that we shouldn't have the Bible, we shouldn't have prayer in schools? And so he went to the local law library. Uh, it was TCU. And he said, hey, I, I would like to study some of these cases. And they said, nobody's asked to study these. Uh, down in the basement, we have files. Uh, we'll have to go, so they literally go to the basement, start unboxing things. They find the files. He starts reading in the law library of TCU. And the Supreme Court said that the decision they were making was without any historic precedent. So there, there's historically there's no, no reason they yeah. can justify this. Yeah. They said, but two things the founding fathers had never intended for the Bible and prayer to be in schools. Second thing, because there was a separation of church and state. And the question came in my dad's mind, well, if the founding fathers didn't want the Bible and prayer in schools, why didn't they take it out of schools when they were in charge? Right? Good question. Like, wh exactly. why right. was it if always in why schools? Why was it in if you didn't want if it? If they never wanted it. Yeah. And so this led him on a journey to start seeing when did the Bible and prayer get introduced? Why was it introduced? What do the founding fathers think? But he was studying it from original writings, not what some professor wrote, right? Not what some textbook said. Point of origin. And right, he yeah. went back and and he didn't, at that point, he didn't know there were 56 signers of the Declaration. He didn't know there were 39 signers of the Constitution. He, he didn't know who any of them were. He didn't know their names, right? I mean, he might've known George Washington and Benjamin Franklin, but he didn't know anybody. And so he starts doing a deep dive into this and and as he's doing a, a deep dive i mean it's really it's shallow but you're swimming deeper and deeper and deeper as you go because as he starts reading he's he's reading about the one or two people he knows well they quote somebody they quote judge wilson and he's like i don't know who judge wilson was well judge wilson was james wilson who hmm. signed the declaration and the constitution he was an original justice in the US supreme court appointed by george washington and james wilson says that the bible was necessary to be in all public schools. And he's like, well, that's odd. Why minute. would he say this? Well, James Wilson cited another person who was a judge, but this is where the rabbit trail started. So my dad, and, and this is before the days of Google, right? There's no, no, there's no, no this internet. Is this is sitting, reading documents. Right. Circling, underlining, clipping. Correct. But but this is this is where the journey started. Wow. The more my dad found, the more he realized it contradicted what he had been taught and what the modern narrative was, but he was finding it in the original writings. Yeah. So, so now like, it's hard to dispute and say, well, that's not what he, act I, we know he wrote that, but that's not what he really believed. No, this is what he actually wrote. And, and constituted as such. Right. Drafted a, a law for a nation. Correct. I, I want people to just pause for a second and think if you were to find new land randomly you find land 
and, and the land is fertile and it's vast. It's so vast, you don't know how vast it is. And you've got to go start from ground zero. Right. Coming from a tyrant king. Right. Quote, I quote, right? And you start over. That's that's intentional. Yes. You take time. Right. You think this through. You This is not by happenstance. There's many minds. It's intentional to find that, no, the word of God is pivotal. Right. To, and, it's, and, and, and you see it then throughout all the writings. Yeah. And throughout... You know, you just take that thread and you go, wait a minute. Yeah. In its foundation, God destined this nation to be built on the Word of yes. God. Yes. And this is where it's so interesting that what my dad has found, uh, and now I'm so grateful to be on this journey with him as we're still discovering and finding more and more that there's, there's so much history, so many writings. There are literally hundreds of volumes of the writings of George Washington. Uh, all the letters he wrote, uh, both as commander in chief of the military, uh, as he was a state legislator in Virginia for a lot of years, uh, right then as a a, a member of uh, the Constitutional Convention, where he's the president, helping lead the Constitution. He's president for eight years. I mean, in his forty plus year political career, this dude wrote tens of thousands of letters, wow. maybe, maybe hundreds of thousands. So there are actually hundreds of volumes, hundreds of books just with his letters, and and, and so. As we are studying, there's always so much more available to do more and more research. Now, what I can confidently say is we have yet to find anything that is contradicting anything we are saying. Because as people that pursue truth, right, if, if we came to the place where we would make statements like the founding fathers are the first ones in the world to begin a political movement against the institution of slavery. Yes. That starts in America before anywhere else in the world. Well, as we're saying that, if if one day we found documents where they're like, hey, we're doing this, but we secretly, we're disagreeing, we'd be like, okay, we're finding new information that's changing our understanding of what is fundamentally true. And you will recollect then as such, and you will reflect as such, because you are about truth. Correct. But because we are looking for what's true, this is where... What we have found at this point, we have found nothing to contradict mm -hmm. anything we are currently saying about the foundation of the nation. But this is where also early historians used to verify this. There was a historian from Duke University. Her name was Alice Baldwin. She was a professor there back in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. And she wrote a book called The New England Clergy and the American Revolution. So she was highlighting the pastors uh, that were at the time of the founding fathers leading into the revolution. Okay. And in her book, she identified that every single issue in the Declaration— Right, You pick whatever issue it was, every single major issue in the Declaration had been preached from American pulpits prior to 1763, over a dozen years before the Revolution. But literally, her point was that when the Founding Fathers come together and do the Declaration, all they were doing is they were getting a cumulative effort together of what they had heard from their pastors for the last couple of decades. They were codifying it and, and saying, hey, we've right. we got we to gotta solidify this, and right. but this is culturally what is being taught and where we are. Yes. So, so as these a church from the pulpit. Right. So these ideas weren't just a political narrative. No. Th this was the influence of Christianity. And so when we talk about the influence of Christianity in America, most people they don't understand how deeply our nation was impacted and influenced by Christianity. There was a professor uh, back in the 1990s from the University of Houston. He worked with some people from LSU. Uh, and, and I think their project maybe started in the 80s, but it was completed in the 90s, again, before the days of the internet. So it took a long time. But their goal was they wanted to see 
what was the most influential sources to the founding fathers? And they said, we're going to take, right, 15,000 representative writings. We want to see who did the founding fathers quote, because who they quoted would probably best reflect who's influencing them the most. And so let's just, let's make a list of everybody that they cite in these. And they go through thousands and thousands of these uh, documents. And they started from 1760. They went through, I think, 1810. So it's a 50 year stretch. And after they've gone through thousands of documents, and they have right thousands of quotes, these professors said, you know what? I, I think we have enough to authoritatively and affirmatively say who were the main influences. And, and the book they wrote was called The Origins of American Constitutionalism. Okay. What they identified was that the number one cited individual was Charles Montesquieu. And he, he wrote uh, The uh, Spirit of the Law. Uh, the, and I think 8.2% of the quotes they found came from Charles Montesquieu. Seven, second place was William Blackstone. 7.9% of the quotes they had from Blackstone, uh, who wrote the Commentaries on the Laws of England, uh, or Blackstone's Commentaries on the Laws of England. And then third place was John Locke. He wrote the Two Treatises of Government uh, at 2.9%. Now, those were the most cited individuals. But what they pointed out was that wasn't the most cited source. They were the most cited individuals. The most cited source, 34% of all the quotes they identified came out of the Bible. Come on. And come on, man. These this professors like fist bump moment, like right? Like America. What what was the most influential document? What the most influential book in the founding? Unquestionably the Bible. The professors went even further. They said they only included the things that were in quotation marks, so they would be comparing apples to apples and all the letters. They said, however, we recognize a lot of Bible language in these letters or these documents that weren't in quotation marks. And if we included all the Bible language that we know is from the Bible, but wasn't in quotation marks, that number would be significantly higher than 34%. Uh, And again, like what we would point out we are now talking about what secular historians are affirming. Yes. So, yes. so this isn't like just a Christian, right? No. Because some people might be it's like, "It's not well, coming from a school of theology." Right. This is coming from mainstream. Yeah. It, universities. Intellectually honest yes. professors. Cause, yes. Because now we have a lot of professors who are not intellectually, intellectually honest. honest. Yes. But if you're going to be intellectually honest, even the secular ones are saying, "You know what? The most influential thing in the founding of America was the Bible and Christianity." Which if, I could, which if I could, Tim, which, which by default then, as a Christian, as a son of God to a son of God, means that the founding fathers were quoting, quoting Matthew, James, John, Peter, Moses, Noah. And, and those writings were inspired by who? Moses, by God. Right. Moses goes up a mountain to say, Lord, we need direction. And he gets direction from God. Right. So this is Yaku speaking, not not Tim or David or wall builders, but that means to me that the founding fathers quote mostly the Bible beyond 37% or whatever that is, but the writings they're quoting were divinely inspired yes. by God through men who then quoted God. You're talking about, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Who's right. talking about walking with the Messiah and Elijah prophet foretold. So the prophecy was fulfilled and Elijah and Moses heard from God. And so for me, the key source of origin of this thing called the United States of America is God. Right. Absolutely. Through his and word, through the founding fathers, it's God. What I think is fun also about the, the study these professors did is they actually do identify what from the Bible was the most quoted. And there's two okay. books of the Bible that are the most quoted now. To, to give a little context, these are the political leaders. Yes. So like as you 
right, have kind of painted this little word picture. If you're going to come to this vast land and you have to write governing documents, well, well what are you going to do? Well, now it makes kind of an interesting connection of what they're quoting the most. The two books they quote the most, number one was Deuteronomy. Really? Deuteronomy is where Moses reminds the, the Israelites law. of all of the law. The law. As you're going to go in. I wish the church today would dive into Deuteronomy. Yeah. I wish culture yeah. would, would have the reverence, the fear of God, to yeah. dive back into De De Deuteronomy. That's fascinating. I well, didn't know that. And, and then on top of it, right? I mean, Deuteronomy 28 is where Moses reminds him, like, hey, I, I've just reminded you all that God said. 28, he says, now, if you do what God says, then you're going to be blessed in everything you do. If you don't do what God says, then you're going to deal with a lot of problems and judgment. And like, your land's going to be cursed. It's not going to go well. The, the founding fathers, the, the, the most quoted book in their writings was Deuteronomy. Wow. Okay. Second most quoted was Isaiah. Really? Isaiah, the most prophecies about the coming Messiah. Come on, man. Are found in Isaiah, right? Like, it's just, it's fascinating. And wow. as, as you start going through the breakdown, and, and by the way, as we're saying this, I, I would highly encourage for, for people that are, are curious, maybe skeptical, yes. we've done a lot of writing on this to where you don't have to necessarily go find all of this for yourself. Uh, if you go to the Wall Brothers website, we have some articles that are there that will have some of the quotes from some of those letters, but go look up the whole letter. And this is very important as, as we do writings and we have written a lot of books we will try to synthesize and, and reduce the writing the best we can to still maintain the tone, but to give you a quote that's easier for the modern reader to consume and keep going with the story. But oftentimes there is way more to that writing than what we reduced it to and put in. Uh, my, my dad wrote a book uh, now at this point 20 years ago called The Original Intent. And it, it really is kind of an academic perspective uh, and by academic, it's it's really kind of a deep dive. Meaty. It's yeah. very yeah. meaty. Yeah. Uh, it's it's got a lot of legal thoughts as well, uh, breaking down right what was the idea, the intent, and so it goes into a lot of laws, a lot of quotes. There's a lot of meat on these bones. When this book came out, my dad uh, was contacted by a attorney for the ACLU, and at right? There's a lot of things being said by the LCLU. Yeah. They're not known for being really good friends to Christians, right? No. Uh, generally speaking, they're trying to stop Christianity from having nativity scenes or crosses. Like, I mean, yeah. really a lot of, a lot of anti freedom of religion moments from the ACLU. With that being said, this attorney contacts my dad and said, Hey, I think what you're doing in your portrayal of American history is so dishonest. It's utterly ridiculous. And I, I don't care how long it takes me. Now, in original intent, there's 1,400 footnotes. He said, I don't care how long it takes me. I'm going to go through every single one of these footnotes. And I, I'm going to, however much research it takes, I'm going to prove you're wrong. And I'm going to rub your nose in it. Right? And my dad's like, okay. Because the, the reality is, if, if you are standing on the side of truth, truth is not insecure. That's right. Right? Truth doesn't mind being questioned. I'm so glad you just said that. Be secure in the truth. Right. Know the truth and stand fast in it. Which yeah. it's it's worth noting. It's only people that are are promoting lies that need to prevent the investigation because they can't be exposed. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when we were told, "Hey, just trust the science. Don't ask questions." Like at that point, there should have been a lot more questions. Start asking questions. Right. Being asked, like, wait a second, I can't ask a question. 
this doesn't seem right. With that being said, this attorney, uh, it took him more than a year. And it's actually maybe two or three years later, he reaches out to my dad again and says, hey, I just want you to know, I went through your entire book, through all 1,400 footnotes, and at the end of it, there's only one criticism I can offer. You significantly understated your case. Wow. Because there is so much more evidence than what you presented that makes an even stronger case. He says, just so you know, as I was doing the research on this, I got convicted and I became a Christian. And he said, I now am working to defend religious liberty as an attorney. He's, he's actually currently a judge in Louisiana right now who is a Christian judge upholding the Constitution, defending the First Amendment religion, religious liberty. Because that's, a, that's a Saul to Paul story. It, very much so. But, but what was the conversion? Him studying American history and realizing the foundation of this nation was the influence of Christianity and the Bible. Had it not been for Christianity and the Bible, America never would have come about the way America came about. And, and our Constitution and our founding fathers talk about this, Tim. The Constitution, the parameters, the framework for a nation, if a nation was a company, it would be the bylaws, the operating agreement, mm -hmm. the code of conduct, the privacy policy. In modern day terms, you would run a company. Right. This right For a nation now, right, was built for a moral people. It was. It was built for a <clears throat> moral people. And right. morality, you're going to find in truth in the word of God, the document that stood the test of time, it's over and over you find back to God, back to God, back to accountability, repentance, consequence, contribution to society. You know, as an immigrant, it's 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 so fascinating to me if we could get any of the Gen Zers that are being indoctrinated on a college campus that says, take this soundbite and run with it, just trust us. Don't don't look into it. As a matter of fact, if you're going to start looking into it, we'll ostracize you. This is why they will eat their own. Right. They will sacrifice their own in a second. If you dare to think, you're out. I, I argue it's not even about you know uh, um, freedom of speech. It's you don't even have freedom no. of thought. Right. You know, you can't think. We think for you. Group think. Right. And you were talking about the worker. Don't think. Screw this bolt into this nut. That's it. But I kind of found a way to do it faster if I put grease. No, nope, not allowed to think, right? If we would take and pause them and slow them down, 10 of them, random, go to any college campus, tell Charlie Kirko, get around 10 of them up at the next school you're going to, and sit them down, and they would be intellectually honest enough to for themselves, not with peers and, and, and likes and tweets and, you know, just dive in. Revelation would hit them. Yeah. They would have the epiphany that that now judge had to say, wow, um, I was deceived. Their spiritual eyes and ears would open. Right. They would see the truth. They would liberate it yep. completely. And those who want to keep control defend that from happening right. at all costs. Right. And that's why they teach kids that if somebody opposes you, you shout them down. Yes. Right. Because we can't have an honest conversation. Why? Because then we would be exposed and, and they don't want truth to come forward. They want, we, we are at the place, George Washington in his farewell address, he warned about a, a, a time and, and said, really, like, stay away from this. Don't let the love of party come in because it will be the bane. It will divide our nation. He promoted principles over party. Mm -hmm. and, and what we have seen is we are now at a place where people care more about their side winning 
than they do about what's true. Yes. Right? We're, we, we care more about promoting this narrative than what's true. And now, historically, or the greater good. Right. It's just win. And, and Tim, that's on both sides. Oh, big And time. I could argue even in the libertarians, but it's party. It is, it is, it is party has become God. Right. Winning has become God. And, I, and when I say at what cost and to what outcome? You know, because the end justifies the means. Mm-hmm. And it's like if truth is, is if it's hard to find truth offered by folks. But man, I'm telling you, I want to get your, your experience in this. And I try to be this person on a stage. When you deliver the truth unapologetically in love and kindness, but truth. Don't, don't, don't varnish it. Don't, don't have a back door open to cover yourself. Just lay it down. I find that people are hungry. Yes. There is a hunger. Big time. It's pinging off their spirit. Yeah. It's like, mm, man, I'm gravitating to that. What is that? Yeah. You know? It's truth. Right. And we actually will make the, the, the case and the argument that, that we think we're in the middle of another great awakening in America. Uh, and as someone, I, I know you know history so well, so it's always fun talking with you because... Well, I learned from you and your dad. Well, I, mean, I appreciate lot. that. No, but, I'm an immigrant. I mean, I will talk to you about that in a minute, but please don't lose your train of thought. Well, it, also as an immigrant, that, that's why you know American history better than most Americans um, for many reasons. But in, in the first and second Great Awakening, if you look back historically, they weren't unifying times in America. They were times of division. The Second Great Awakening is the easier example to talk about because it's it's fresher in people's understanding. The Second Great Awakening happens from roughly 1800 to 1860. What's going on in America at that time is the nation is dividing over the issue of slavery. The abolition movement's growing, but also every single major denomination in America splits mm-hmm. over the issue of slavery. This is not a unifying time of America, even though it's considered a Great Awakening. But what happened is... Truth and morality were debated, and moral clarity was restored. Yeah. Now, not restored to everybody, but what's also very easy to point out is God was moving and waking a lot of people up. Charles Finney was one of the major leaders of the Second Great Awakening. There were more than 100,000 people, estimates are, that came to Christ at his crusades. God was moving. People's eyes were being opened. The nation was dividing, but they were dividing along the lines of picking their side on truth and morality. And I think it's very similar to what we are seeing now. God is moving. As you're mentioning it, when we speak truth, man, it's resonating with people. It People's is. eyes are being opened. And and, and God is, is changing the hearts and minds of people in this nation unquestionably. But there's another side, right? Where the Bible even talks about that some people, that, that, that their conscience is hardened, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that their hearts were darkened to truth and they rejected it. And actually Romans 1, right? God gave them over to their debase, their yes. their passions. Yeah. God let them go their direction. Even if we think about some of the, the the noted stories of the Bible, Samson, right? There was a time when God was like, okay, if, if you want to go that way, I will turn you loose and see how that goes, right? When Samson starts playing the game with Delilah mm-hmm. and, you know, about his hair and finally God's like, all right, then, then you do it on your own and see how it goes. And he didn't even know the spirit of God left him, which is one of the scariest verses in the Bible to me, right? But it it really is this, this place to me that I see in America where it's, it's very clear that God will allow people to choose a side they want to be on. And it doesn't mean that God is not moving or that an awakening is not happening. Happening. Yes. And I think historically, when you look at the trends and and kind of some of the, the key data points of the first and second great awakening, I think we're seeing so much of that happen right now. 
But the first great awakening lasted 30 to 40 years. Second great awakening lasted 60 to 70 years. And the reason it was considered an awakening is because there was a cultural shift at the end of that time. Mm. It wasn't because things were wonderful during that time. Now things were clarifying, right? Truth and morality were being clarified Purpose and you pick the, the side you're on. Mm. But at the end, truth and morality were restored. And, and, and I think we are in the middle of one of these cultural battles. The heart and soul of America is being battled over right now. God is on the move. People's eyes are being yes. opened. And, and this is where I, I think maybe from the optimistic side of me. We which draw hope. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I tend to, I always want to be on the side of the Joshua and Caleb anyway, yes. right? The, yes. And the numbers, right? That the leaders of the 12 tribes are going to spy out the land. Two comes and, back and says, we can take them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and everybody saw the goodness of the land. Everybody yeah. said, this land is amazing. It's, it's amazing. abundant. Yeah. This would be a great place to be, but... Ten said there's giants. There's so many problems, yeah. and they're huge problems, right? And two are like, well, let's take them right now, which I also love. I love that in the story of Caleb and Joshua, Caleb, at the end of his life, when they're dividing the inheritance, Caleb's like, I want that mountain right there. Like, can I have that for my inheritance? That's the one. And right, you're like, well, why do you want the mountain? He's like, because I heard there's giants on it. <laughs> and I would love to take on giants just one more time, right? Dude, you're like, I love that this heart. This guy's awesome. It's like David who right? said, I'm going to kill this giant and then his brothers. I'm, yeah, give I'm me some go, more stones. I'm going to go find his four brothers. Because this guy's got some family, right? <laughs> I love it. But as I always want to be on the side of the Joshua and the Caleb, right? Yeah. So I'm going to be optimistic about this and, and looking what's going on. But in the optimism, if God were done with an America— then why is there an awakening movement happening? Why are people? Why are people's eyes being opened? Right? Why, if God was done, I don't think God's done with America. No. Now, right? You look back historically. Abraham Lincoln said that he didn't think the Civil War would be over until enough blood was shed during the war to match all the blood that had been shed from the backs of slaves for all the previous couple hundred years that slavery had been prevalent in many of the states in America, and he thought that was God's judgment on America. I I don't think realistically that that you can look at what America's been embracing and think that God's going to give America a pass for all we've done. I I, no, I think there can be some hurt. hard things coming. No, it's going right? to hurt. But it doesn't But there will be a remnant. It doesn't mean that God is going to abandon us and that God is done. I don't think God's done at all. I think no. God is still on the move. Absolutely. And there's a reason we should be hopeful and optimistic. Not that things are going to be easy, right? If you're in the first or second great awakening, the end of the first great awakening was the 1770s. Yeah. It led into the American Revolution. Yeah. End of the Second Great Awakening, eighteen sixty, led in the Civil War. Now, I mean, I am not predicting that we have a violent civil war, and God forbid, we nobody wants that, no. or they shouldn't want that. If no, you want exactly. that, you're messed up. Yeah, yeah, right. We none of us should want yeah. that. God spare us, right? But the reality is, we know there's some level of conflict but coming. It, but it doesn't mean there's not famine in the land. It doesn't mean that mm. there's not massive conflict. It doesn't mean that some hearts are so hardened that they not fall away and, and fall right. on very hard times. Right. And this is, as you're saying that, this is my cry to the Christian at the moment, those who are self-proclaiming. It is no longer enough. It, it, it never was. But it used to be synonymous if someone said it, they walked it. Mm -hmm. There was a time when, when culturally... That family was a Christian family. They would say it. Now it's become very easy to say, well, I'm a Christian. It's become easy to say, well, I worship God. Mm -hmm. we, ha we need an intentional daily move and encounter individually. Yep. My wife can't do it for me. Right. I can't do it for my, I can lead my children, but it's an individual 
decision to say, I'm going to deny myself today and I'm going to pick up the word of God and the, the mantle of God and be under the blood of Jesus Christ. And then ask the questions, why did you create me? Mm-hmm. And then the bigger question, Lord, why did you make this nation? And I agree with you. He's not done with America because he's not done with the world because right. he's building his kingdom. Right. And his kingdom is rising. And the weeds are rising. The enemy is right, and it's a giant battle, and we know who wins. God wins. But I firmly believe God created the United States of America for this time, mm-hmm. for the final battle, to be the lamp on the hill, to be the light to the world. And and yes, there can still be light while darkness is, is brewing. Right. And it's the light that overcomes the darkness. So I'm super optimistic. But it's not, well, let's sit back, and God's going to do it. Right. It is tomorrow morning for me and my house. Yes. We serve the Lord. Yeah. And what does that mean for right. me and my house and my marriage and my children? And then when I leave my home, be the body of Christ and go out there in truth. And if I know there's a brother out there named Tim Barton and I meet somebody that seems a little confused about who we are as a nation, our identity, to say, can I, can I lead you to light? Can I lead you to one that was inspired? generationally and and this is what we have to do so how do people that just man and I, you're touching surface this is like this is the forward of the forward <laughs> of tim and david barton's world into who we are as a nation and that beautiful relationship between our country and god for those listening that said okay i want to dive in yeah either i want to i want to refute it I want to challenge it, yeah. or I'm so interested, I didn't know, I want to know, yeah. right? You are busy with something, a project, to to basically memorialize and make immortal these documents and make them accessible yes. to people. Help us. Where do people go? Other so, than booking a tour, yeah. if they're ever in Dallas, and, and walking their family through this experience, but beyond that, Tim, where do they go? What can they Yeah, do? so we are in the middle of uh, doing a new database to try to make everything we have available, accessible online. Uh, I think we're as, throwing it on screen as we speak. The yeah, American so Journey Experience. The American Journey Experience is a great uh, place to go, AmericanJourneyExperience.com. Uh, a great place to go to be able to uh, get, again, kind of like the, the tip of the iceberg, right? Like surface, but it gives you an opportunity to do a little deeper dive. So we're in the middle of of doing a a pretty expensive uh, project of building a database. We've bought uh, bought some some pretty uh, state-of-the-art instruments and tools that allow us to do uh, scans and 3D imaging uh, that will do transcriptions to, to try to make these documents available. And then we will have links also on the website to lots of places. Uh, there are things, Yale did what was known as the Avalon Project, where they took a lot of original documents, made it accessible online. Uh, there's uh, founders.archive, uh, there's founders.org. There's there's several places online that have taken original writings and made them accessible with, without commentary. So you just get on, just here's the letters, you can read them, they're search engines, so you can look for letters from George Washington, John Adams, whoever you're looking for, Abigail Adams. And you can find those. And so the websites are great places to go. Uh, we also have, uh, we're working on a new website right now for wall builders. Uh, but there's a resource we have called the American Story. And for people that that want to know more. Mm, I love it. I, I think the American Story is probably the easiest first step in because it's it's a storybook where we start with Columbus. We go to the end of the American Revolution. But 
uh, excuse me, the, the, <laughs> we go to the end of slavery in America. We, we were going to stop with George Washington becoming president. Uh, when we were writing this a couple years ago, the 1619 Project had just come out, and we said, yeah. we, we can't let them get away with so many of these incredibly historically inaccurate accusations they're making. And so we, we kind of jump ahead and tell a little bit of the end of the abolition movement in America, the ending of slavery in America. Okay. But in the American story, there's more than a thousand footnotes. And, and the thing I would highly encourage people is as you read this, we're, we're going to show you literally where those quotes came from. And for those who are willing to do the, the work of pursuing truth, I would say don't take our word on any of it. Yeah. Everything that we document in footnotes. Proof and verify. Go. Please go. Yeah, Ronald Reagan famously said, right? Yeah. We, we can trust, but we verify. Yeah. And, and this is something even as believers, right? When we have spiritual leaders in our life, we have pastors. If my pastor said, okay, we know the word of God says this. I'm like, well, where does the word of God say that? I want to go right? read it. Yeah. And right. If my pastor says, well, we know it says it in this verse. I'm going to look up and make sure it says it in that verse. And it's not because I don't trust my pastor. It's because I'm going to do the due diligence to make sure that I am verifying what is there. So the American story starts but with But also Columbus. then you're owning it. Correct. It, then it's not something that somebody else told me one time. <laughs> exactly. Which I was, I was reading uh, in, in Acts not long ago, and it was, uh, it was reminded about the sons of Sceva. Uh, right? The apostle Paul had been doing miracles and demons were being cast out. And there were these, these boys from a family. And they were like, hey. We can do this. Like we saw it happen. They find someone demon possessor and go cast out a demon, and the demon talks back to him, right? And they're like, "Who are you?" And they said, "Well, you know, by 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 the God that we heard Paul talk about, get out." And the demon's like, "Well, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Who are you? Right? With what authority do you stand?" Yes, and then this. Right, this demon possessed person beats him up, strips him naked, like they have like this crazy story. Yeah. But to your point, there is something to be said for being able to take ownership that this is not something I heard somebody say one time. When, and it's one of the reasons we encourage people to come to the museum. It's one of the reasons we encourage people to be part of some of the projects and programs we do is we try to get people hands-on experience with history that once you've held some of the documents, mm -hmm. th then it's not, well, I heard on right, some podcast this one time, this guy talk about it. It's like, no, no, I actually held this. I held the first printing of the original draft of the Declaration of Independence in my hand. Yes. Where, where Thomas Jefferson, actually, the largest grievance was against the slave trade. It was arguing for the humanity of the enslaved individuals, where he said that they were men. And he explained that, that we all these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. And, and he said the men were these Africans being enslaved. And like, I, I held that document. And that men, mind you, is in all caps. Correct. It is printed yeah. in all caps in a, a document that's almost entirely in cursive. Yes. He draws your attention to it. He prints it, all caps, with like bold, underlined, like highlighting this word that these are men. But the point is that we want people to be able to, to learn history hands-on so that, again, to the point they have ownership of it, that it's not, I heard somebody say one time, and it's the reason also we encourage people to be the, the leaders of their own journey in pursuing truth. Don't, don't take somebody else's word for it. Most Americans, they know our nation's in trouble. Most Americans know that people are lying to us. Yeah. And, and now that should give us a confidence to go, okay, then I'm going to stop trusting whatever somebody tells me until I've done a little research and I can confirm it. And, and obviously that means that you have to go a little deeper than just what does Wikipedia say if we're studying American history, right? Like don't trust an open encyclopedia where anybody can write anything at any moment. No, let's, let's go a little deeper. If, if we're going to talk about what did a founding father believe, what did he write, what did he say, let's go to the original writings. 
So, so don't just stop on what did somebody say. And that's why in our works, we, we try to have a lot of quotes from the founders with a lot of footnotes so that we can encourage people, please don't take our word for this. Go read and study for yourself. One of the lies of the modern academics and progressives is that you have to, and really it's, it's, it's a lie going back even to the days of the church uh, in Europe where you would have religious leaders that you write the Bible's in Latin and they're like, well, you're not smart enough yeah, exactly. to understand the yep, Bible, yep. right? You need someone to interpret the Bible Constantine for you. Constantine and his movement and yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, historically, this is what people have done to try to control the educational narrative so they can manipulate and control people. And there have been academics saying, well, you're not smart enough to read and understand these writings for yourself. That is utter nonsense. Nonsense. Utter nonsense. You can go back, you can read and study, and you can actually see what's there. And if people would do that, they would recognize that not only is the foundation of this nation a foundation built on the Bible and on Christianity, but they would also historically see what's true in America is what was true in the Bible. When we had leaders that followed the Bible, that did what God said, we enjoyed God's blessing in this nation. When we had leaders and that's that, tangible, very it's measurable, very tangible. It's like when, when, when we saw what happened with the current administration and one of the greatest things that could happen last year is at the gas pump, people looked at a number, right? And they said, wait a second, what you're telling me from the press room is not what I'm seeing. It's the strongest number. economy we've ever had at this pump. Right. It says 420. Right. And I remember that it wasn't 420 and they could reconcile yeah. in their mind for themselves. And that's why I love it when you say, come hold the documents, read the document for yourself. You can read English. And if you can't, then then translate, but read it for yourself. And what's going to happen is we call it epiphany, revelation. There's a reconciliation is going to happen in the mind to go, wait a minute, I'm being lied to. Yeah. And if I'm being lied to about this, can I trust that? Right. I better dive into it. And, and that's how the truth will set you free. Yes. The Lord says that what you bring into the light and the truth is light. God is yeah. light. The truth will set you free. So I, I really want to reiterate that the work you are doing, and, and I talk a lot about mantles, and I, you know, we see this in the church often, often, often. You see a pastor who's running hard, and he's doing what God's called him to do, and someone underneath goes, well, I will do it differently. I would do it differently. If that was my position, I would. And they start undermining truth and they start working yeah. against. And it's diabolical, right? The mantle God's given you and your father is to carry this torch of truth as it relates to our identity as a nation in correlation with the creator, with mm -hmm. God and the purpose of America. I've had so many prayers to, to God saying, why is America not mentioned in the Bible? Right? And I've got my own my own understanding yep. of that, diving into Revelation, talking about the eagle that will carry the bride with 12, with 12 crowns, talking about the tri 12 tribes of, of Israel and Israel and the second coming and the Messiah. And I have come to the conclusion that, that this is my own conclusion. America is on this planet to be light. Mm -hmm. America is on this planet to dig for truth. America is on this planet to show the way of God, to point to the Father, to obey the commandments, to train a child in the way of God so the child will not depart yep. when they're old. 
And was America mentioned in the Bible? This is Yaku's opinion, right? The self-righteousness that could fall upon us to go, right. oh, look at us. Right. I mean, we're mentioned by the prophet Elijah and we're prophesied by, you know. It, it was almost a protective mechanism to say, no, no, no. You're going to be humble. Right. And you're going to stay humble. And you're going to stay dependent on my word. Yeah. Right? What do we see? Pride comes before the fall. Right. And so I believe that there is a holy reverence for God brewing in this nation. Yeah. That there is an uprising. Charles Finney said, Lord, start a revival, but start it in me. Mm -hmm. That We pray for revival, revival. Man in the mirror. I'm no Michael Jackson fan, okay? But man in the mirror. Yeah. Start there in the morning and say, Lord, what have we done? Yep. Because I firmly believe in closing. When the master comes back after he's dished out the talent, and he said, Tim, what did you do with your talent? We are going to hear that. What did you do with what I gave you? And we want to hear, well done, humble, mm -hmm. good, and faithful servant, right? Citizenship is a gift. Right. What am I doing with it? Being born in this nation is a gift. Yep. Could have been born in, in Uganda, Central Africa. Could have been born in, in, in Venezuela, Could, anywhere. It's a gift. We will stand account to God. What did you do with freedom? Not safety. Okay, freedom. Freedom to think, freedom to speak, freedom to defend the voiceless. Yep. Freedom to intercede. Freedom to read the Word of God, understand to preach the Word of God. Freedom to disciple the nations. Most benevolent nation on earth. Most giving people, mm -hmm. right? We were made for that. But we must uphold truth. And part of the truth story of God it's the foundation of this nation. Yeah. It, it, it has to be preserved. So I argue that the founding fathers wrote a set of documents and laws and regulation and structure talking about limited government, talking about no overreach. And by the way, they were farmers and politicians. They yeah. went home. Yeah, they did. Tilled the field, worked. Not career politicians. To preserve the word of God. To say... There's only one way to do it right. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's not another. There's not another nation on earth ever that was founded this way, that has a constitution like this, that has the Bill of Rights we have, that says all men are created equal. right? And as a citizen, it was the great... Other than my, my, my salvation, my marriage, and my children, second to that comes the ability to hear a judge say, welcome, <laughs> new citizen of the United States. And being adopted into this tribe, yeah, right, that we are so blessed to be in. So, thank you. Um, Rebecca's going to throw on the screen again, but give me the wall. Can we just pull the Wall Builders website up as Tim is going to give us closing words here? Thank you to you and your dad. Uh, please thank him, Tim. Your family's praying blessings over you, the hand of God over you, physical health in your body, in your mind. A fervor and a fire that like that's never been before. A passion. And you just go and, and we support you wholeheartedly, fully. If we can ever do anything for you, please don't hesitate. Ask uh, ask and then give us closing thoughts. <clears throat> what's on what's on your heart as we show people the website? Please visit Wall Builders. Dive into this duo. I mean, this is a duo. <laughs> okay. Uh Tim and David Barton. Um Final words. <clears throat> uh, there, there's a verse that's been resonating 
um, with me from Jeremiah. Most people know Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope in a future. Jeremiah was writing to people who had been conquered, who were going as slaves into captivity. And, and, and he was telling him in that moment, right, that, that God hasn't forgotten you, God hasn't abandoned you, that God remembers you, and God still has a plan for you beyond the hardness of this moment. What's interesting, though, is if you back up to verse 7, Jeremiah tells him that don't stop, because it's going to be hard, don't stop having kids, don't stop right, getting married, raising families. He said, in fact, you should seek the peace and prosperity of the land in which you are living. For when it goes well with the land, it will go well with you. And one of the things I think sometimes as Christians that we have to be careful not to fall into the trap of saying that all that matters is Jesus and nothing else. No, no, that that's true. Jesus is the number one. But Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. Yeah. There should be follow through that comes. We're not saved by our works, but Ephesians 2.10 says that we were saved unto good works, mm-hmm. right? God, God wants to use us to do something. And part of the wisdom that Jeremiah told the people who were going into a foreign, awful nation was that you should seek to make the place where you live better. Because if you can make that place better, your life will be better as well. That's There's right. a lot of wisdom in that. And I would want to encourage every every American, and really, I mean, this is for Christians around the world. If you live in Japan, you live in Germany, Wherever. you live in China, right? If you are a Christian in that nation, you should seek to promote godliness and righteousness in that nation because the more godly and righteous that nation is, the more of God's blessings it will enjoy and the better that nation will be and therefore the better it will be for all the people of that nation. As Christians, we should care about this nation. We should care about who the leaders of this nation are. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people groan. We should care and we should be involved and we should be part of the solution, not part of the complainers, but be the Joshua's and Caleb's who are ready to roll up their sleeves and always be part of the solution of what God wants to do. Tim Barton, not enough time. Uh, What a blessing, man. God bless you. Love and appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, Hopefully you'll be back. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Talk to you guys next time. Dive into that episode. And look, you were given meat. Consume it. Eat it. Go dive into the documents for yourself. Uh, Please support wall builders. We can agree here that the truth has to be told. And the way the truth is told is when we, as Tim just said, become the arms and the feet, the hands of Jesus mobilizing the church saved by grace but faith without work is dead so let's let's go work in the land to make it a better place educate yourself please support wall builders see if you can engage with the american journey experience where glenn beck is supporting uh, david and tim but please dive into wall builders learn how you can promote support uh, donate um, and and further this cause so god bless you thank you for listening again to tim barton champion status uh thank you man god bless you